good scriptures. God's Word is so important to us. It is the truth for life. And we gather to read it and to listen to it and believe it and teach it. So we will continue looking at how God's Word presents Jesus as God now. We, uh, we looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I want to do that again with just, uh, I saw another uh, example in the Old Testament that I wanted to point out in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse 21. This is when God has just delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, and they are starting on their journey and in the wilderness. And then it says in verse 21 that the Lord and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. So notice the wording there. The Lord went before them in this pillar of fire and cloud. Now I'll turn over to the next chapter. Chapter 14, verse 19, and here we have another reference to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And so first is identified as the Lord is in the pillar of fire, and now, then it says the angel of God is in the fire, and that's a manifestation of Jesus as the messenger of the Lord. So... This tells us very interesting to me. Jesus was the one who led Israel through the wilderness. This pillar of fire and pillar of cloud during the day went before them and, and directed them through the wilderness. And God was in that. And Jesus particularly was in that. He was the one leading the children of Israel. And that's why we have that mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul mentions this and says that Christ led them through the wilderness. And uh, so that's neat to see as we put those together that Jesus was manifested here in the Old Testament with leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And how fitting, because them coming out of Egypt, slavery was a picture of our salvation. It's a picture of us being freed from sin. And Christ is the one who does that. And so Christ was the one who led them out in the pillar of fire. So you can look for that in the Old Testament when it says the angel of the Lord and then identifies him as God, that's a manifestation of Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. Now let's, go, let's look at the New Testament. And we left off looking at the book of Colossians chapter 1, where we look at the big three, John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, present in multiple ways the deity of Jesus. And in Colossians 1, we read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, verse 15. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And so the statement that He created everything and God's the one that created everything. Both John states that as a evidence of the deity of Jesus and Paul does here in Colossians that Jesus created everything. And if you remember how we talked about that, that all three were involved. The Trinity is all involved. The Father decides the Son spoke it, and that's when God said, let there be light. 
and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters to then make it happen when Jesus spoke it. And, and the Holy Spirit accomplished it. As we go on, verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. That word preeminent means above all and first. And the Bible's clear. We're to have no other gods before the Lord God. No one's to be above Him. He's to be number one. He is to be preeminent. And Jesus is said here to be preeminent over all things, stating His deity. Then verse 19 gives a very powerful statement. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. That statement, all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of what? All the fullness of deity. And we know that because He completes this thought even more over in chapter 2. So look at that, chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So Paul expands on this here. Again, repeats the same statement, but adds some wording to it fully, expressing it in verse 9. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelt in Jesus. And that says all that God was, all that God is, existed in Jesus in the human body of Jesus. That's, that's a very powerful statement. Very short, to the point, very clear, very definite statement of His deity. And that's a very important verse to memorize and to share when you're talking to a Mormon, when you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, or anyone else who denies the deity of Jesus. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And there's a statement of the Trinity also, a reference to it, that there's the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus was the manifestation in the body of uh, God. So Hebrew, uh, John 1, Colossians 1 and 2, and then let's go to Hebrews 1. And uh, there's several phrases given of the deity of Jesus that we need to notice and are very important in the list here, which I think was written by well, the Apostle Paul. And he says, in these last days, God has spoken by His Son. In verse 3, who being the brightness of His glory. You can't have the brightness of God's glory without being God yourself. Second, the express image of His person. That's very clear. He's the exact expression of God in human form, upholding all things by the word of His power. Well, God upholds all things. And then He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and there's the presentation of the Trinity, and that's the manifestation of the Trinity. You have Jesus expressed as distinct from the Father in the sense that He sits at the right hand of the Father, and yet He is God, and there is only one God, and that's the Trinity. And again, we've got to be careful. Uh, there's not three gods. And in this language, it could be an aspect of expressing it on our human level because that's the only way we can express things. This is all of, above our natural thinking. So uh, I was just processing this, that that distinction occurs in His physical body and Jesus will be in His physical resurrected body in eternity. And in that sense, that'll be the distinction. He'll be sitting at the right hand of the Father in His human body 
yet he will be one. There'll be one God. There's one reality of God, and, uh, but Jesus will be uh, manifested in his physical body. And then it goes on in just some several statements. The whole chapter just is a, a presentation of the deity of Jesus. Quotes Psalm 2 in verse 5. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That puts him on an equal plane with the Father. Uh, verse 6, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says that all the angels of God worship him. The Bible is very clear all throughout that only God is to be worshipped. This is one of the strongest points for the deity of Jesus and what directs us in who's God and who's not. Only God is to be worshipped. And if someone tries to get worshipped instead of God, that's the number one sin. Have no other gods before me. Do not make any image an idol and bow down and worship it and serve it. That's the first two commandments. It's the top two on God's list. You don't do that. That is a direct offense to God and direct rejection of God. And here, the scriptures say, and God the Father is directing this, that all the angels are to worship Jesus. And you turn over the book of Revelation, and you see Jesus presented, and all of heaven falls down and worships Jesus. The 24 elders fall down, throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus, and say, worthy are you to receive all honor, glory, power, and everything that God deserves, and it's given to Jesus. Because... Jesus is God. That's the truth that we are presented. Jesus is worshiped because he is God. Then verse 8 is a very strong statement. To the Son, he says, your throne, O God. So talking to the Son, he's addressed as God. There's from Psalm 102. That's also a very good one to use with Jehovah's Witnesses, is to turn over there to Psalm 102 and read it. Because in that psalm, in the context of the surrounding verses, he, God is referred to as Lord Yahweh, capital, all capitals, L-O-R-D. That refers to the name Yahweh. And that's, that's what the Jehovah's Witness stressed to try to make a point about. Uh, that's the distinguishing doctrine that they have that's false, is they say that Jehovah is the pronunciation they use, even though that's incorrect. They say Jehovah is the Father, and He is separate from the Son. Jesus is not Jehovah, they'll say. They say Jesus is the lower God and that only Father is Jehovah. That's the only name. That's why they take their name from that. Jehovah's Witnesses. They just harp on that. That's their, that's, everything's based on that for them. And Psalm 102, which Hebrews 1 attributes to Jesus, says this is talking about Jesus. It's talking to the Son. In Psalm 102, He's called Yahweh. So Hebrews 1 tells us Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He's the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, of the Old Testament. And that totally cancels out their whole system. And you can point that out to them. And uh, when you do that, they'll say, well, if you'll turn over here to Psalm 86, we'll look at that and you'll see what I'm talking about. I've talked to them many times. That's exactly what they'll do. I'm just warning you. They will not listen to truth, but you still should share that with them. What they've been trained to do, they're almost like robots. It's really sad. They've totally, it's, it's a really example of a cult. They have been brainwashed. They have been propagandized and they have been taught like a robot just to do certain things. And they're not even hardly thinking about it, I don't think. 
But when you show them clear truth that violates what they believe and what the watchtower tells them, they will immediately just ignore it and go to another scripture. And that's what they do. But you ought to show them. For some, it might create enough doubt when they go home, they'll start thinking about it. And they may look it up and God may lead them out of their uh, lie through this truth, this very, very important truth. Because as Jesus said, if they do not believe that Jesus is God in Yahweh, they will die in their sins. And then verse 10, this is from Psalm, also continuing Psalm 102. Well, here it is right here. Hebrews brings it out. And you, Lord, and if you see in your Bible, L-O-R-D, capital, if your Bible does that, and hopefully yours does, that, that gives you some good insight. And here to the Son, he's addressed as L-O-R-D. Now, I, I just remember the capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. I remember now, you have it right here in the New Testament where it shows you that. And when uh, one time I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness, I was showing him this, and I said, and just to try to even use what they do, they have their own translation of Scripture, and I thought, okay, let me look it up there. Let me show them there in their own Bible what this says. And in the New World Translation, that's one thing they've changed. And right here, where it's capital L-O-R-D, they don't. They put it in small case letters to try to hide the truth and, and don't do that. That's, that's a benefit of this, the English that does that, is that it shows you what the original is saying. You can go, but what you do on that, even in their Bible, in their translation, it'll say small case letters. And they'll say, oh, well, no, that's talking about, that, that, you know, that's Lord Master, that's Jesus, that's the lower God. Go to Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, though, in their Bible, it will say, I, I believe they change it to, Yah to Jehovah in their English, I believe, in the New World Translation. But it'll be indicated there in Psalm 102. Just the fact that it's in Psalm 102 They'll say, that's Jehovah. Of course, it's the Old Testament. It's got to be Jehovah. And there you can show them, this here is attributed to Jesus. Psalm 102, verse 25. And say, this is, this is credited to Jesus. It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. And they're wording. So this, this is a very good one to use, a very uh, important one to use for Jehovah's Witnesses. Like I say, at that point, they'll say, well, uh, we have to go now. Uh, we, we may come back another time. That's another thing they do. When, when you really show them truth they can't answer, a lot of times they'll just say, well, we're going to leave now. and we'll, we'll come back. We'll schedule another appointment and come back later. And they just try to avoid, avoid the issue. Okay, so Hebrews 1 just is loaded with statements of Jesus' deity. Now I want to give you two other very quick references that are very good to use. Romans chapter 9 and ones that are sometimes overlooked because it's just a quick reference, but they are very, very powerful statements. Romans 9 and verse 5. And these are important to use by, with people who will say, well, the Bible never calls Jesus God. And, and they can kind of get around that and, and make that sound true because in the Gospels, most time he's, he's called the Son of God or the Son of Man, more commonly Son of Man. And he never refers to himself as the Son of God. He mostly uses the Son of Man. And it's not till the end when it really comes out at the crucifixion that when Jesus said, I am, yes, I am the Son of God. 
So they can kind of get around that and say, hey, you know, the Bible never claims he's God. Well, these two next scriptures I'm going to give you are very short, very clear statements of that that will refute that to somebody that says that. 9 verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, he's talking about Israel, from Israel are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. So there Christ, Jesus Christ is called the eternally blessed God. Very short, very quick to the point, but very important. He's God. He's the eternally, the eternal God who's always been. So that's equal. You know, he's not a lower God. He's the eternal God. Very important statement. That's what make God, makes God God. You remember that he's eternal and Christ is the eternally blessed God. So Romans 9, 5, very important one to uh, remember. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter does the same thing. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So who is, who is Jesus? He's the Savior and He's our God. Another statement there. I just remember there is a third one. And that is uh, Titus chapter 2. So flip back and look at that. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Speaking of the second coming. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So three times there. Three short references calling Jesus God. And those are great ones to uh, point out to people. And clear statements. Jesus is called God by the New Testament. He is. Now in the Gospels... And we're going through this with Mark. He kept that hidden at first because he knew that if it came out and he pushed that at first, it was going to lead to the crucifixion. And it wasn't time for that yet. He needed the three and a half years to complete his training with the disciples. He needed to. And that's why he hid that knowledge. And he'd tell people, don't tell anybody what you know about me. We're going to see that today in Mark with the disciples. He's going to tell them, don't tell anybody that you know that I'm the Christ which was also a statement of his deity. He hid it because he knew the Pharisees couldn't handle that and they would have killed him. And eventually that's what happened when it came to a head that he was claiming to be God and the people were beginning to follow him saying he is God and the Messiah. And they said, we got to get rid of him. And that's when the crucifixion happened. So that's why he hid it in the Gospels. But here you have these clear statements in the New Testament that Jesus is God. And in the Gospels too, it's clearly stated there also, as we've already pointed out, with the name Son of Man. When you go back to Daniel, it's a clear reference to deity there with that title. Okay, and then I just want to close with the revelation. Let's look at that of Jesus being presented as, as God. And let's look at chapter 4 and 5. And what we see here is... The Father is presented in chapter 4, and the same things given to God the Father are given to the Son in, in chapter 5. At the end of chapter 4, verse 11, the 24 elders fall down and worship Him along with all of the angels and say to Him in verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. So there, God is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. That's worship because He created everything. He's being worshiped as rightfully He should be. 
And then in chapter 5, we have Jesus presented as the Lamb slain for our sins. And then we have the same scene, verse 8, when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, angelic beings, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. So they say to God the Father, You're worthy. To Jesus, You are worthy. Same thing. Because they are equal. They're both God. And then uh, they worship Jesus for His redemption. And then go on to verse 12. And all the angels join in with them, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now notice that last statement. They conclude that worship... All blessing, honor, glory. They're just adding words, all words of, of worship to, to God. And then they, they direct it both at the one who sits on the throne, God the Father, and the Lamb. They both are given that. And if Jesus is not fully God, then that is an idolatrous, sinful statement. To attribute to Jesus what only belongs to God the Father but it's not idolatrous because they are one in the same and they are both given the same worship, both at the same time at the throne of God because Jesus is God. That is a strong statement, present, clear presentation that, of the deity of Jesus because He's given the same worship as God the Father. And they both reign on the throne. So you see that throughout the book of Revelation at the end, then you see it again where the Lamb and the Father are uh, ruling over everything forever as one God. So, God the Father is presented as the divine creator of everything, and we looked at that, and now Jesus the Son is presented as the creator, divine creator of all things, and as God in the flesh. And that's the second personage of the Trinity, that God has manifested as. And then next we will look at the Holy Spirit who's presented as God also in the same way. Now, as I said before, as we move down the line, uh, there's less text we can look at. And there's less text with the Holy Spirit referred to as God. But that doesn't mean it's not true. There's clear text that present Him as God. And I think the reason that is is because the Holy Spirit's role is more of a behind-the-scenes working. His work is to glorify the Son and the Father. And you see that in the Gospels from Jesus. And that's just the nature of His work. And so there's less Scripture then on Him. But He is a person, personal being of the Godhead. And He is God. And we'll see those Scriptures next time. And this is our God, who is greatest being you can imagine. And there's the greatest, it's the greatest thing to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to worship, worship them. All right, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for these truths that clearly show us uh, who you are, who the Lord Jesus is, that he is God, 
uh, that he is the eternal God from all times. And you come to take on flesh so that you could die to save us. You are worthy of all of our worship. And you possess all power and glory and wisdom. And, and we just rejoice to be your servants and we serve you uh, gladly and confidently as we deal with the spiritual battle on the earth and know that it's going to culminate in uh, a dramatic battle of rejection of you, but you are going to carry out, your, you're going to release your judgments and you're going to have your way on the earth and you're going to return and reign as king over it and, and nothing's going to stop your plans and, and we rejoice in the victory that we have in you. And pray that you'd lead us in the days ahead. Help us to be witnesses of your truth as, as, these, as your truth is rejected more and more. And the deity of Jesus is rejected more and more, and, and they're trying to add in. Others will be trying to add, be added in as uh, other options besides you. But you are uh, the only God and the only uh, Lord and Savior. And help us to, to, uh, to defend that truth in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.